Hello, welcome to 120 Outdoors, where we talk about how to enjoy the outdoor opportunities we all have close to home. Hi, my name is Chris DePaula, and I'm here with my co-host, Don Klaus. And today we have a very special guest for you. We have Dave Rydell from OPN, Ohio Prairie Nursery, located in Hiram, Ohio, in Northeast Ohio. And their specialty is basically prairie land restoration. Yeah, native uh, native grasses and, and native plants, uh, which are something that we, we badly need. Definitely. You, you've heard me uh, rail on uh, invasive species and the scourge that I encounter all the places I walk. I hate them. Uh, that's a subject that is going to be down the road for us to talk about. <laughs> that's right. But, but the, uh, the counter to the invasives are what really should be there. And yeah. what should be there are things that are native to the area that you're in. And in R120, there's a whole host of them that should be that aren't quite in the numbers we would like to see. Yeah. Well, it's, and I'm learning because of the, the, the property that we own, my wife and I own, we've, we're doing a restoration, habitat restoration project on there. One of the things on there was to reestablish native grasslands and prairie lands on the property. As you know, Don, you helped me with a lot of this. And um, I mean, you do realize the connection, but when you're actually looking at it, uh, starting from the very beginning, how important it is to have that all connected together, not only for the insects, for the, the birds, for the turkey, for the deer, it's all connected together. It's all one big piece. And if you're missing something, as I've heard from, from the habitat manager working for, you're going to be missing something else too. So it's all important. It's all connected together. So that's why we asked Dave to come on to talk to us about that importance of, of just, the, it looks simple, but it's how important it is, the native grasslands and prairie lands. Yeah. And, and the other part of it too, is uh, the diversity aspect of it. Right. Um, you can't have one thing uh, because everything needs uh, needs different stuff and at different times. And uh, it's something that probably a lot of people don't think about. And hopefully Dave uh, can get us thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's bring on Dave as our, as our guest today. Uh, so stay tuned and uh, we'll share that interview with you here in a second. Okay, our next guest here on the 120 Outdoors podcast is Dave Riddell, and Dave works for OPN, which is Ohio Prairie Nursery a Company in Hiram, Ohio. Is that correct, Dave? Uh, that is correct. Very good. And before we get, get get into the meat of the interview here, Dave, tell us a little bit about OPN and a little bit about yourself and how this all got to be. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on, first of all. No problem. Uh, you know, so Ohio Prairie Nursery has been around since about since 1998. We, uh, you know, the founders Bob and Sandy Karras, who are still the owners, uh, founded the company basically because you know they were interested in birding and started to wonder why they were putting out all this bird food from seed from all over the place, and they didn't even know what was in it, and why not come up with a way to feed the birds and other insects and things naturally uh, the way it should be and started exploring the native seed business and kind of did it part-time at first and and evolved into full-time. I've been with the company for eight years. Uh, So my background is in uh, conservation. I've worked with the National Park Service. I've worked with uh, an environmental consultant company uh, where I did some restoration work on streams and wetlands. Prairies and everything in 
between, and which led me here. And, and now I'm the operations manager for OPNC, and uh, have a lot of fun doing it. Very good, very good. Yeah, that that's interesting how they transition from bir- the birding prospects to actually the seeds now. That that's it all ties together. It's all one thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, back when they thought of it, you know, it was even more. I mean, you see more and more companies that have popped up mm-hmm. uh, since. But you know, in the '90s, there wasn't that many people doing it, so that was you know forward thinking and then pretty cool on their part. Absolutely. Yeah, I I know that's true because I I just uh, I, as a gardener I I kind of monitor plants and seeds and what's going on and and uh, I see a lot more a lot more attention to that these days and uh, can't help but see it uh, driving down the highway. It seems like here in our area uh, there's an effort to get uh, get some of those native things going um, in and around the highway where it was nothing but uh, just mowed grass so um. yeah absolutely i know on uh i've seen some on the interchanges on 680 coming out of boardman going towards youngstown for sure yep yep absolutely hey uh, dave one of the questions i had to start the whole the meat of the interview off here it's always been something i've been interested into what exactly happened uh, to our prairie lands here in ohio and in pennsylvania well i mean what what's going on what happened and why is this such a push now I, you know, I can actually see that happening. I understand what you're saying now. Or uh, development. Yeah, uh, something. Yeah. Hmm. So they, a lot of them were developed. And, you know, there's been some really good people in the state that have fought for years to protect these, you know, rapid prairies and, and things like that. So there are some. You know, there's, you know, in Dayton, there's Huffman Prairie. Um, there's some up around Bowling Green, I believe. Yeah. Prairie Association has a map on their website mm-hmm. that shows 
wanted to make a cool, socially distant state trip, you could zip around and look at them. I don't think there'll be lions outside Remnant Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're okay there. I think you'll be six feet apart from everybody. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, <clears throat> we we know a little bit about what one is now, and uh, I think we understand this a bit. But if you could share for our listeners, just uh, talk about the importance of of planting the native uh, the native elements of a prairie. Dave, I just read an article, I think it was last week, about that exact subject there, about our insect population across the North America. Has, has it dropped every, 2% every year? Is that what it said? Something like, I don't know if you saw the same article. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty consistent. Yeah, I think between, I've seen between 2 and 4%. Um, now what's, a shame. It is. Now, what's causing that? Is that pesticide use? Is it habit, lack of habitat? Is it a combination of both? Okay. I was just talking to, to Chris about this the other day in our travels. There are a few places where we can see farm fields that are practically uh, longer than you can even see across. They're just gigantic. And, uh, you know, when thinking about bugs, it's like, boy, if it's a bug that doesn't like corn, uh, yeah. it's got a long way to go to find anything. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and depending on the insect, I mean, some of them, Travel a lot further than others, but for some of them, you know, if they can't find it in a tenth of a mile. That's it. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, some of these fields. Yeah. I, I, I bet you they're a mile across. Uh, oh, some of those oh, are sure. enormous, um, especially in north, parts of northeastern Ohio. As you know, Dave, there's some gigantic uh, farms, and nothing against the farms. I yeah. get it. I oh, get yeah. it. You know, but it's um, some huge chunks of property, for sure. Now we 
United States Department of Agriculture in the state of Ohio, where they put in pollinator habitat, um, and then you know there's tax incentives and things like that to do that. But we're seeing a real movement in, in Ohio and Pennsylvania and every every state you know that touches Ohio that we work with, where you're seeing this new generation of farmers. Um, and they're, they're really in tune. I mean, they're putting borders up, perimeters where they're putting in diverse habitat. You know, they're, they're really mindful of what herbicides and pesticides they use. So that's encouraging. And I, I hope we keep seeing that moving forward. Well, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, that is very good. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we know what uh, uh, that they're a good thing to have around. Um, what can you tell us about maybe um, – which ones uh, we need the most, or which, which direction we ought to look on how to how to get something going, or, or what we ought to look for in, in a good one. Yeah, so I'll step back one sec. And so what we as a company found out right away. So there, are, you know, kind of different areas you see these native areas planted, and they're on commercial properties governments, park districts, local municipalities and parks, things like that. But what we found was there was a real lack of, you know, avenue for homeowners to, to do anything. So we've made a concerted effort to really hone in, you know, make smaller, you know, even one ounce packets available to homeowners at a reasonable cost so that everyone can do these you know, in their yard in a small plot. Because although we might not have 100-acre fields, you know, if somebody puts one in and then somebody a tenth of a mile puts one in, you form these little corridors, these little pockets where now the insects and birds and and whatnot have a transportation path to migrate and, and still, you know, find foraging. And... You know, if they hit a big property, great, but, you know, these little pockets might help them on their journey and, and, and help them exist. So that's where we've spent a lot of time focusing. Now, we do support, you know, commercial projects and, and government as well, but, you know, we're, we're really proud of the fact that we've tried to make this uh, easier for homeowners to use. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that's a focus because I'm, a, I'm exactly the person you're talking about. I have a, a tiny place. But I'd have a, a little place, and I, I do feed the birds. But, uh, you know, I, I buy f- flowers every year, and, uh, you know, and I, I've been thinking about it in recent years. It's like, wow, I, I think I could do better, and it sounds like I can, just as a small yeah, homeowner. I mean, the, the species you see, you know, at your big box stores, you know, and some of them are cultivars. I mean, they're better than nothing, but... You know, the stuff that we work with is, is not modified. It's, you know, it's all as it should be. You know, it's all local, regional, eco-type stuff. Um, so it's, it should grow better. Um, I don't want to get jump too far ahead, so I'll, I'll go back to your original question there. So most people want wildflowers. You know, they want it to be attractive, mm-hmm. which, which I get. So... But we try to push people to include native grasses because, you know, so if you're looking 
at it, the site, so say you're looking down at it, there's going to be gaps between these flowers because in prairies and meadows, they've, you know, evolved over time to, to grow together. So that's where those native grasses fill in. And native grasses such as little blue stem, big blue stem, Indian grass, switchgrass, you know, I could go on and on. They, they also provide habitat, winter habitat, inside the hollowed out tube uh, for all kinds of bees and insects and things like that, native bees, um, honeybees. Um, and the flowers kind of speak for themselves. They're all important. You know, they're all going to be a host species for, for multiple insects. So, you know, if it's native to Ohio, you know, we try to make our mix as diverse as possible and inclu include both a grass component and a wildflower component. I see. Now, you mentioned bees in there. Uh, that's another thing uh, Chris mentioned about the, the loss of insects. But uh, another thing I've heard in recent years is a real focus on on bees. Um, is um, it, it, do you see that as that is that one that's that's more uh, in peril than than uh, other insects we have around or uh, needing needing of uh, greater attention or or it's just one of the one of the insects. No, I'd say it's it's towards the the most you know most important. So you, know, you kind of look at it two ways. So there's you know honeybees are extremely important to the economy. You know they do a lot of pollination, with fruit fruit harvesting, and things like that. So and they're they're in decline because what happens is we work with a lot of beekeepers. We actually have packets that we've designed with. Ohio State uh, Beekeepers Association, the West Virginia, and uh, the Empire State, so New York. So we try to get these out there. Um, and then it, we do like an in-kind match for each packet that's sold where we donate back to those organizations to, you know, continue the good that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they get the flowers from the trees in the spring, most of them. So they... You know, they start building up their reservoirs, and then once you get into the middle of summer, and specifically late season is the biggest problem, um, you know, those fields of goldenrod and, and different asters and things that you see are very important for them because that's how they stock up that honey supply to survive the winter. And, and what happens when those trees quit flowering, if you don't have enough habitat, is they start dipping into their supply during the growing season, and then they die out, they get killed off in the winter. So uh, it's really important for there to be flowering species, which is where a lot of these native species come into play, that they can continue to forage on, build up their honey supply so that they can use that over the winter to survive. Well, that, that's interesting. So you think that's, is that one of the causes of the decline of the population? Is that the loss Absolutely. of, it is, no kidding. It's funny it's, that we work with, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, we work with a lot, not just associations, we work with individual beekeepers. Um, and we've learned a lot over the years. And and that's the biggest problem that we, we continuously hear is there's not food supply to last the full growing season anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. I did some prep work, you know, preparing for this interview today. And that's one of the things I read about um, where the beekeepers were complaining about exactly what you said, that they have the bees have plenty of nectar and, and plants to work with. 
through the early and mid season, it's the later part of the year that, that they're really suffering. And a lot of the hives take a hit. Like you said, they, they end up dying out because of that. Right. That's, that's amazing. I really didn't, I didn't know that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, once you really dive into it, you know, it, it's, it's real interesting to, to start understanding what the problem is and, and what you can do to fix it. So that's why we, we got in touch with these beekeepers associations and tried to put, you know, mixes that are heavy on species that are going to flower in the, in the mid to late summer and into the fall to kind of help get this out there and then support what they're doing as well. Yeah, you know, I was I was glad to hear you say because uh, one of the concerns Don and I had when we were uh, preparing for this interview was, you know, can an, an average homeowner make a difference? Um, Absolutely. And, and you said, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. It's not just the, the people that have property and have farms. Uh, even if you have a postage stamp lot, you could still help with this. Yeah. Um, now, you would recommend if someone's doing this in their backyard, um, after listening to you now, they need to have a very diverse, even if it's a small 10 by 10 square of, of plot of soil they have there, they need to plant, um, put plants in there, flowering plants and grasses and everything else that goes through that entire life cycle through the summer and into the fall. That's what you'd recommend, correct? Correct. Yeah, okay. and we work with people, you know, we, under, we understand about, okay, so here's the spot I want to plant something in my yard. And then we look at, you know, amount of sunlight versus shade. Is it wet or dry or in between? And we kind of understand their height objectives, you know. Okay. Native species that are genetically modified genetically modified or not short by any means. So, you know, short growing is three feet or four feet and tall can go six, seven, eight feet. Okay. Okay. You're talking switch, switch grasses and so forth. Right. Yeah. Right. And and it's really hard. We always hear like, it absolutely can't be over three feet. And, you know, we just tell them, Hey, I can give you species that typically grow around three feet, but these things, I mean, their sole purpose is to reproduce. So if they're fighting to live with other plants and they see sunlight, they're going to go for it. So you might get a three, a species that's supposed to grow three feet to grow six. You know, it's just, they're, they're doing what they got to do. Huh? Right, right. Now that's, you know, most of them on average are going to grow three feet, but there's always the outlier, you know. Right. But, yeah, I mean, there's different uses. So in some areas... Maybe they don't want it that tall. They don't want it six feet because, you know, it might obstruct their view or something like that. And that's fine. That's where we try to make sure that not just these are going to be good for the plants, but these plots are going to work and meet the homeowner's objectives. That way they continue to leave them up and and don't change their mind. Okay. Okay. Because some of these native grasses and flowers that get six, seven feet are are like a natural fence. They're great privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you have people that plant them, you know, along boundaries. You know, so for example, I have a, a neighbor and they have a couple of dogs and I love dogs, but you know, they, these dogs just they're out all the time and they bark nonstop. And <laughs> you can't even move in your backyard without them growling and running along the fence with you. So yeah, you know, we planted a bunch of grasses to grow up and kind of fill the void and the gaps in their fence so they can't even see us. Hmm. Well, that was a side benefit. Yeah. <laughs> right. So not only am I creating habitat, but I'm doing 
lot cheaper than than figuring out my own way to put a fence up. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's all kinds of useful ways you can fit these things, not just for what they do, but how they can benefit you as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. That's interesting. You talk about how how big they can get because. Uh, we've had a, a little project going on here in 2020. Uh, I got to give a little history. Uh, Chris put in a pond. Yeah, farm pond. Yeah, farm pond on uh, property that he has uh, that's that's just managed to be wild. And uh, when this was done, uh, it produced a couple of big humps of just nasty, not very good dirt. Yeah, clay. <laughs> yeah, clay and rocks, and and uh, and so uh, we we kind of did just uh, what you were suggesting: get native stuff, native grasses, mm-hmm. uh, native pollinators, uh, and in a diverse way with a blend. Happened to be one of your blends, actually. Yeah, and uh, so that occurred in the spring of 2020, and by the fall of 2020. Uh, we got to see some, uh, well, I guess we got to see that diversity because there were flowers happening, Yeah. Uh, you know, here and there and all. Of it. How late did you see them? Oh, it, it was, yeah, it was funny, Dave, because it was every time I would go up, you know, I'd go up once a week or so. It was something new every day, you know, every week. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I take a picture, of course, send it to my wife and then and I called Don. <laughs> Hey, something else. Yeah, something else came up, and I don't know what it is. You know, so we tried to figure out what flower it was, uh, or what what grasses it was. You know, the, the thing. I, the other question related to that too, um, and I, I I'm not great with patience when it comes to planting something like this. And I know I've read um, that you have to be patient with these because it may take a year or two for them to establish. Is that correct to really get going? Yeah, yeah. Even even in the year three, sometimes. Yeah. So. We try to include, there's not many annuals that are native to the state of Ohio, but we include a couple um, so that you get some flowers the first year. You know, some of the perennial wildflowers don't need to be stratified, which stratification is basically there's a layer, there's a coating on the different seeds that has kind of developed over time to protect the seed once it falls off the plant. Mm-hmm. Okay. And different species need longer stratification periods than others. You know, some are 15 days, some are 120. Yeah. So depending on the growing season, we might not have 120 freeze-thaw cycles. So sometimes they set until they get the adequate time that they need. And not to mention those perennial wildflowers, they'll actually put roots down before they start to grow above ground. So you won't see any green growth, but they're going to anchor in and put down three, four, five feet of root depth before they start to um, okay. grow up. And that's what makes them so sustainable, and that's why they can weather those, those weather changes once they're established is because of that. Okay. Uh, another question related to that, too, uh, Dave, we planted some switchgrass last year, and we did it. I bought some front seed from you guys, and we planted okay. it. We planted it in uh, February or March, I think it was, last year. Um, and we were hoping to see some of that switchgrass come up last summer. 
I don't know that it did. I marked the areas where we planted it for some screening for some habitat, you know, near our okay. near the plots we hit, we planted. And so is that one of those things I'd have to be maybe this year I'll start to see some some signs from the, the switchgrass. So here again, yeah, you know, patience. <laughs> right, right. So native grasses are are interesting because they don't need to be stratified, but they really want to anchor in before they start to grow. So normally, what you'll see from a lot of the native warm season grasses like switchgrass is a little, you know, maybe an inch tall growth, but it's putting down roots. And usually, year two is when you really see it take off. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, so you, this year I should be okay. They start to see some signs of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't have even seen it. No. Being an well, I, I'm not patient enough to wait. You know how yeah, <laughs> I yeah. want everything, want everything <laughs> to grow in 30 days. When we're talking to people, because you can, there are plenty of nurseries that we support that sell the plants as well. I wish there was more, but there are some. Yeah. And, and we, we work with people, so that we try to understand that we, honestly, we probably lose some sales because we're so honest about how long it's going to take from seed because if that's not going to meet the homeowner's objective then they need to use plants right 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 we can it just is what it is now plants are going to be a lot more expensive or sometimes they'll use a combo you know they'll put some seed in and then they'll put some plants too so they have a little bit of both yeah that's what i would say that probably would be the best thing for me yeah i like, like that i like yeah. i like that yeah. recipe yeah go, go ahead don yeah i i was going to say uh one of the things we, we tried to get going uh, around the mounds that uh, we were discussing were some milkweed and some of the purple coneflower and didn't seem to have much to be seen, but it sounds like maybe good things will happen for us this year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, purple coneflower is a big year two guy. Hmm. So black-eyed Susan, purple coneflower, you should start to really see heavy the year two. You know, milkweeds are, it's interesting, once they're established, they spread, you know, at least common milkweed spreads by its roots, and it can be, you know, aggressive almost, but it is a little difficult to get growing from seed, so I would say year three, you know, I, you probably will see some this year, but year three is really when you start to see, um, like with the plots that we have, it's like, oh boy, is this working? Yeah, there's a couple, and then year three, it's like, oh my gosh, they're everywhere. Yeah, so, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, patience is the rule. Yeah, then. well, then I don't have a whole lot of that, so <laughs> it's, I'm learning. I'm learning, Dave. I'm learning. It's interesting you talk about the. If it's at your house, you know, if you're looking at it all day, every day, you need to. You know, that's why we try to help people understand what it's going to be like. So, the last thing we want. Is for them to be unhappy because not only are they going to call us and complain, but they're going to potentially then, you know, say, well, this didn't work. Natives don't work. We run into that in the commercial industry all the time where, you know, landscape architects and engineers will spec native plants, but they might not know enough about native plants to probably spec the right mix or allow for the right preparation or management. And they don't work because, you know, they were put on poor soils. They were seeded at the wrong time. They weren't managed. And then the maintenance people didn't know it was native and mowed it down to the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For three years. And we've really had to fight 
last four or five years to make these commercial people understand that while they do work, they just weren't done correctly. Okay. Because if you look at commercial properties, I mean, just drive up you know, around Youngstown, Boardman, you get up around you know Streetsboro. I mean, there are acres and acres of grass on these properties that they mow. Oh, I, you know, and I, if they just put a half of it into native wildflowers, it'd make a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, I I was uh, just uh, <laughs> railing the Chris on this the other day. You know, uh, near where I work, there's just an expanse of uh, grass area. I'm talking acres of just mowed, short mowed grass, and there's absolutely no reason. Uh, that it's grass. It's not going to be developed. It's it's just a, a, a property that's held by, it happens to be by a university, but it's just nothing but grass. There's not walkways. It's just a bunch right. of mowed yeah. grass. Yeah. And, and, and I know it's and not going. Yeah. And over and over. And it's just simple because that's what they've always done. But, you know, so it's kind of all connected, but. We used to offer field work service. Um, we've since not stopped doing that and focused. You know, we had enough to keep ourselves busy to just figuring out how to grow and harvest enough species to support what we're trying to get out there. But what we've tried to do is, is work with landscapers and, and educate them and train them on how to install and, and manage these areas so that there are more options of people that can do it. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Because, That's... you know, it, it's a unique, so it's a different than anything that they normally do. And not every company is up for it. You know, they don't want to hear it. They, they cut grass and that's what they do and that's fine. But for the ones that are up for it, you know, it's, it offers a service to whether it's a, a homeowner or a commercial property that, hey, we're going to install this and instead of mowing it once or twice a week in the growing season, I only need to come a few times a month, you know, once or twice a month to manage it. And, you know, now, although the seed costs a little bit more on the front end, not only are you reducing your carbon footprint, but you are saving money by year two. Yeah, mm. for sure. Nice. Yeah, but it takes the right person to want to listen to that and understand it yeah that's um i i think that's probably a, a big thing lacking is understanding i'm hopeful that that seeing these uh these patches of pollinators will uh, encourage people to understand as they drive down the highway it's like well why'd they go and do that and understand why i see it in park settings too where uh some of them put an emphasis on uh on native goods and pollinators but Boy, it, it is a, a commitment. We got to see that after one year of uh, kind of, yeah. I, I don't want to say ho-hum results, but not all the results we wanted to right, see. Right, right. Yeah, it's coming along. It's coming yeah. along. Yeah, one of the, yeah one, it's, it's slowly, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, one of the other questions I have, uh, Dave, and I, I really don't, I've looked this up to, I never really got a clear definition or what, what exactly is a FORB? Okay. What, can you give us some examples of what a FORB is? I mean, what, what plants are? Sure. What, herbaceous plant that is on not grass-like. 
Okay. Okay. So that means it's a dicot, not a monocot. So, you know, you've got, you know, a fork would be any flower because they're broadleaf plants. So, okay. Black-eyed Susan, purple coneflower, you know, anything that's not a grass, sedge, rush. Oh, okay. You know, or, it's, or in that monocot type family. Okay. Okay. So pretty much most things that we associate with even turf weeds, are formed. Okay. So, like, even, yeah. a, even a dandelion would be a form. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was like woody brush, uh, something like that. But that's actually a bush. <laughs> it's not a form. Right. Okay. Right. All right. So that's a whole other yeah. classification. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so we use, you know, we we've kind of tried to if you go like on our website, you see the word form a lot. Mm-hmm. And what we've understood is exactly your question. We a lot of people don't know what a form is. So we've tried to start renaming mixes and making, basically just trying to make that site as user-friendly as possible. Okay. Because you know, we could use the word wildflower instead of form, and then everyone knows what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think everybody gets that when they hear the word flower. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah hmm. for sure. Uh, I want to circle back to one thing uh, you mentioned about uh, management. Uh, this is another this is another thing for uh, for Chris's place. There's some established, uh, I think you would call it prairie or meadow, uh, yeah. something uh, that uh, I don't know. Maybe doesn't lack uh, the diversity that it might. It's very natural, but but it might not have all the the as much uh, variety as would like to be seen. Um, is, uh, is there a way to, to, uh, to mess with an existing uh, space like that, to, to bring it up uh, without a complete teardown? That's exactly yeah, what I was going to ask. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's, anytime you seed something, so you're prepping the soil, you're seeding into it, there's going to be a seed bank that's in there. And it's going to, it's going to grow. Um, you know, lots of seeds are viable in the seed bank for hundreds of years. So, wow, you can prep it all you want, but things are going to grow with the seed that you seed. So you've got your safe native seed mix. You're going to put it on the ground. You're going to get a lot of things that you didn't seed come up. Now, the question becomes, are they bad? So different people will interpret that differently for for most purposes there's really only a handful to a dozen non-native potentially invasive plants that if they come up can spread and choke out your native mix and, and you really need to hone in on those and, and remove those from the site uh, those are things like Canada thistle, um, common teasel, uh, mare's tail. There's, there's there's a bunch. Even clovers the first year can be a real issue because they kind of grow real early in the year and they form almost a carpet across the the site. So they can they can choke out and not let those light resources get down to those native seeds that 
water and the soil that want to grow. Okay. Now, once the native plants start to grow, they'll grow right over top of that clover and shade it out, or they can even coexist. But that first spring, it can be a real problem if it's thick enough. Okay. So what would you recommend I, I do in that spot, Dave? I have, it's about two acres. Okay. Okay. And, and right, what we did is just, you know, we did, we planted some um, uh, tall fescue grass in there just to stabilize that because that, it was uh, leaching into the pond and I would, I didn't okay. want, I didn't want all that soil leaching into the pond. So we just got a, some quick ground cover there. So that's what we had there last summer was that, that tall fescue. It did fine. And it did, by the way, it did have exactly what you just said. The clover was underneath that tall fescue grass, like right. ca- like carpeting. So should I just – I don't, and I don't, want, I don't want to get into the use of pesticides. I'm trying to do everything as natural as I can. So sure. you, what, you would recommend cutting that down, right, in the spring, yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Then what do I do so for – kind of two different ways. Were the fescues that you used – it was tall fescue. Okay. So tall fescue is going to be, you know, persistent. And it's going to be, you know, so there's two ways to do it. You can mow it down. Okay. Right. And by mow it, you don't want to take it all down at once. Because, or if you do, you need to have a way to bag it. Because you don't want that thatch, that, that dead stuff that you're cutting to just lay on the soil. Because it'll just rot out. Okay, so somehow I got to rake it out of there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, rake it out. Use something that can bag it as you cut it. Or if you've got like a brush hog or a flail mower on a tractor where you can cut it at different heights. Okay. Or you can, you know, mow the whole thing, take three inches off the top and do that two or three times to cut it down where it just kind of pulverizes the material. Okay. And it doesn't get thrown down. Yeah. Okay. And, and kind of see how things come in. If you're okay with that tall fescue growing, but the natives kind of filling in around it and it being, you know, not all native and kind of sparse here and there, that, then that's fine. Or you can start over and the Xerxes Society, which is a really good nonprofit that focuses on, you know, invertebrates. So... Okay, what, what was the name of that? What was, what was the name of that group again? Okay. Xerxes Society is X E R C E S. Okay. Didn't hear. Never heard of that. Okay. Please do. So that's something that you can do to mechanically prep the site so you don't need to use a herbicide or anything like that. Okay. And in time, um, those those natives, um, would they have a chance at, uh, you know, out-competing and pushing out that fescue over, over time? That's a great question. Yes. But each site is so unique, it's really hard to say for sure. So, depends. A lot of it depends on the rate that the fescues went down. You know, 
foot over there? Is there going to be enough opportunity for the natives to grow? To, you know, the strength that they have is they, since they are slow growing, you know, it's it's going to be hard to compete with something that's already been planted there. Yeah. Okay. I see. Okay. And fescues, they're going to green up early and they're going to persist. So, you know, they're, they're not a long-term problem normally if, if they come in with the natives that they're in the seed bank. But if they were seeded there, they could become a problem. Okay. Now, I had... They, they could choke it out enough. Yeah, there is some mixture. I did see some some um, goldenrod in there in the fall mixtured in with all of that fescue. Um, so there is some, I think there was some in that, uh, like you said, the seed bank. Uh, there may have been some, some seed from other plants before. So it's not just fescue, which I guess is good right. now. Okay. All right. So that's one of the things we always tell people. You're looking at, well, hey, I want to do this. I don't know what to do. So you're either looking at a restoration or an enhancement. So okay. An enhancement is you already have some good plants there. Why don't you add to it, see what happens, and then restoration would be a complete start over. Okay. Okay. So, a lot. You know, if you've got two acres, that's a pretty big chunk. So, you know, maybe you could do a test plot. Okay. You know, you could you could do uh, you know ten by ten or something twenty by twenty or whatever spot and. and Try mowing it down and overseeding and see the results that you get. Yeah. Okay. That's a good idea. Before you take on the two acres. Yeah. Okay. That's a great suggestion. It's really hard to say for sure because there's so many other things at play. And a lot of it could depend on, you know, what kind of growing season do we get next year? Yeah. You know, if it's it's cooler and wet, it's going to favor the fescues and, and your non-native species. Now, if it gets hot and dry right away, it's going to favor your native. So, you know, a lot of times just the weather pattern we get that first year can make a big difference in establishment. Yeah. You mentioned weather. Uh, you know, uh, you were talking about how things take, uh, you know, sometimes 120 days. I'm thinking back to the last uh, last two years in, in our 120. They've been pretty mild. I don't think we've had that uh, the last two you know, that no, we haven't even been close. No. Yeah, I think the last two, we haven't had more than 90. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different place it's these days. Too. Yeah. You know, the one thing you, you mentioned there, Dave, real quick, I picked up on, and I, I read this too. You mentioned uh, a talk about if we have a summer that's a real dry summer, that that favors the native plants instead of the evasive plants. Is that because the native plants have built up that, um, how do you want to say it? The 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 strength or whatever Tol- it is, tolerance. the tolerance yeah. for that type of weather change. Is that another? Absolutely. Okay, so that's another reason why yeah. we need to go back to the native plants um, in in our area. Correct? Yeah, it really favors them two ways. So your your plants that are established have deeper root system because. They are prairie, you know, a lot of them are historically prairie plants, so they come from hot, dry climates. So okay. They are going to handle that very well once they're established. They have resources, you know, most of your non-native flowers and grasses and things that people plant have root depths of less than 12 inches. You can pull them right out of the ground. Um, with natives, they, they're going to go down several feet. Okay. And, and anchor in and they spread, they 
have all kinds of sealer roots and things like that. So they're going to have the resources to withstand that. The other is the seed component. So you say you seed in, in April or May, and then it gets hot and dry. You know, while the native plants need some moisture to grow, it's going to favor them in the long run because most of your weeds like it cool and wet. So there's going to be less weed growth because of the hotter weather, which although you might not notice the uh, you know, benefits of that the first year, by year two, that's really going to make a difference in, in how fast those natives establish. Okay. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Well, well, that's um, that kind of kind of fits with probably what what we need to finish up with, and that's when when do we when do we do the stuff? Uh, yeah, when do you recommend the day, uh, time of year? Yeah, we're with the okay. with spring uh, approaching. Uh, I heard we're you know spring we're like two months away from uh, from spring, and uh, that's when <clears throat> as a gardener, that's when I think planting. So right, and most people do. <laughs> but you can plant we start planting late fall early winter through about june 1st okay so but most people you know if you think about two seasons right so in the spring you can plant anytime up until about june 1st once after june 1st you, you, you don't know what's going to happen yeah you could, know you don't want to get dry feet in the ground and then have it get so hot and dry that now, you know, which if you seed it correctly, it shouldn't matter, but there's a lot of human error, you know, with people that, you know, when we come up with methodologies and things, we have to assume people are going to do it incorrectly and try to make the process as bulletproof as possible so that it will still work to some degree. Okay. So, so for the purposes of planting, figure spring until June 1st. Now, fall and winter is a great time to plant because now you get all those seeds to go through their first winter. Okay. It makes no difference to you, whereas if you plant in the spring, all those perennial species that need to go through that stratification period, they're all going to lay dormant until they go through that winter the next year anyway. Okay. So if you plant in the late fall and winter, it allows you to take advantage of that and shorten your time frame of, of the growth of the prairie area. Okay. Now, the, the key in the fall is to wait until it's cold enough that nothing's going to try to grow still. You want temperatures, soil temperatures on the surface to be below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so you're talking November then, right? Yeah, yeah. Used to, we used to say mid-October, and now we say Thanksgiving. Wow, okay. It really depends. Yeah. But the last thing you want to do is seed it too early and get a couple of days where your annuals try to grow because then they'll just get wiped out. Yeah. Okay. I follow you. That makes sense. You okay. want it to go down, but you know it's going to be dormant, which Thanksgiving is usually a safe yeah. time frame. Yeah. And two years ago, it was almost Christmas because it was... Yeah. remember that one yeah uh, yeah so and then in the winter you know as long as like even the snow we had today or last night you can see it over that absolutely yeah you just don't want to see it if there's 
Okay. Okay. Hmm. All right. Very good. Very good. Now, uh, Dave, if they wanted, if, if our listeners wanted to, to check out OPN, Ohio uh, Prairie Nursery, what's the best way? Do you have a Facebook page? Okay. And we've, we've tried to make it so you can kind of click on different things to start your journey and, you know, what am I interested in? And we have plenty of ways you can contact us, whether you want to call us, send in an inquiry on the website, or, you know, reach out to us on social media. Okay. Um, we, we try, we, you know, we try to be up front. It might take a day or two, but we'll get back to you. Okay. We, we don't leave anything unanswered. Okay. That sounds excellent. Uh, I, I hope uh, you get a lot of contact because what, from what I've heard, there's there's nothing but good to pursue this. The only the only downside I'm hearing is uh, takes a little more time than we. You got to have like. some patience. <laughs> yeah, be patient. Right, right. You just have to, you know, know it's going to take. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, so we sell packets for fifteen dollars and ninety five cents that cover about two hundred and fifty square feet. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. A, lot, a right. lot of area. So if you think about what it would cost to put plugs or one gallon or any bigger material in there, I mean, you're going to have hundreds of dollars. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, so the seed is a very economical way to do it. And, and to be honest, you're going to most likely see some flowers the first year. It's just, you know, it's not going to be as diverse until years two and three. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got you got me excited about year two. Here yeah, this should too. be exciting this year then. Because, yeah. Because we we were pleased with what we saw in year one, so sounds like we got good things to look forward yeah. to in year two. Yeah. Well, very yeah, normally each year is, is more and more. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, very good, Dave. Is there anything else you want to add before we let you go? I know you guys are busy. Yeah. No, I just appreciate you know it's nice to see someone local that's that's Fantastic. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's a that's a great service. And, and I will be calling you, Dave, because I do need help with that project we just talked about. So I'll talk to you off the air on that one, okay? <laughs> so yeah, and hope, yeah, give me a buzz. And, yeah, uh, yeah, you can send us photographs. Or, you know, I can stop out at some point in the growing season. There's all kinds of different ways we can evaluate it. Okay. Yeah, hopefully we can get together again too, because uh, this project's ongoing, and uh, knowing, yeah. knowing that we got some time to invest. Uh, uh, hopefully we can report on some some good news. Yeah, some success years down there. The road. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yep, very good, Dave. Well, thank you again for all your time this morning. Yeah, you're very welcome, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. Have a good year. Thank you too. Mm-hmm. Bye. Right, bye. Well, Chris, with that, I think that kind of tells us we got some more work to do. <laughs> we, that's for sure. We've got some work to do at your place. 
uh, yep. I know, I know we can improve that greatly. Yep. Uh, yeah. We're going to, hopefully we're going to see more things, but we're going to have to turn some soil and uh, improve upon what's already started for myself. Uh, you know, I think, I think I got a lot more I can do at home, which I got to get going on too. Yeah. You know, I thought that was so neat. Um, when, when Dave mentioned that too, it's not, you don't have to own land, have several acres. You could do it in your own backyard, even a little postage stamp lot. You could still benefit um, the great outdoors by planting a, a little grassland and prairie land, a little patch in your backyard. I, that was so cool to hear that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think uh, he was talking about little, little islands. Yeah. I get, uh, I get pileated woodpeckers into my backyard and I think I, I get them because there are woodlands that kind of bridge my place in the suburbs with a, a bigger patch of woods. With the park across the street. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So I wouldn't have them any other way. And, and when you think about the, the, the bees and birds and whatnot, you know, they could, we could, we could do good that way too, if they have that place to go. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, I wish it were quicker, but yeah, uh, I guess it just isn't. No, so. no, that's right. Well, anyway, uh, with that, sounds like there's some work that we all could be doing. That's uh, right. If we can tangle with that. But anyway, for now, that's it for this 120. Uh, get out and do something in your own 120 in the outdoors, and we'll see you next time.